0: Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. Awesome, so what an awesome video that Pastor Ed sent for us this morning. So as you can see, we have a team up here because like Pastor Ed was saying, we just had a group come down to Guatemala. So we have some up here, some sitting over here. So we're super excited because this morning we're gonna have some testimonies because the reason that we do that is not for them to get up here and have five minutes of glory. It's for God to have the glory, but also to show that you guys as a church, we all did this together. The team that went down there could not have done what we did without everybody and our whole church being a part of it through prayer, through giving to the house that we built, through um, being here and keeping this house strong while the team was gone. So that's why we're here today. So, first of all, thank you so much. Um, second of all, this is an awesome opportunity to see what you had a part of in, your, um, in what happened. So, um, I'm going to go ahead and let Adriana start us off. Uh,
1: good Let's morning, give him a everybody. hand. Mm-hmm.
2: I guess the first way to start this is just to say god is awesome yeah i mean we got to see some amazing things for a week things that maybe we never thought we'd see we got to do things we didn't think we could ever do possibly um for my wife and i this is our first mission trip Um, we've been privileged enough to send our girls out on quite a few but we've never really done anything as a family uh, to glorify his name anywhere besides the stuff we do around town Um, for me personally This trip started well before we left for Guatemala. It started with uh, some words Pastor Ed said to us the first time we saw the Guatemala video. Um, We watched the video, and my wife and I, of course, we uh, looked at each other and said, man, it'd be amazing to go on that trip, you know. Uh, we both thinking we have five kids. Probably not going to happen, but it would be great, you know. Uh, At the end of it, Pastor said, you know, when you look at these trips, you don't worry about the how, you worry about the why. We didn't know how we were going to do it, but we knew why we wanted to do it. God talked to us that day, and we were going to figure it out. So a week later, we signed up, and we kind of had to hold that mentality throughout the few months paying for the trip all the way up to the day we left. And uh, I remember those words throughout our whole trip because we had accomplished things that I never would have thought possible. We saw people that you'd only see maybe on a video every once in a while and think, man, I'm right here these people in front of me, and I should be teaching them, but really for a week, they taught us a lot. They taught us about love, about what makes God so great, and why we were put here on this earth. And most of it's not for our selfish needs. Everything we have is to give forward and to let God work through us so we can do something for somebody else. Um, We left for Guatemala. Uh, Well, my family and I were a third of the trip, I think. (laughs) (laughs) But we left with a dozen other people who, 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 who started as friends. We came back as a family. And uh, anybody who's never experienced that, I think everyone should have that feeling just once in their life, if not multiple times. Because for us, it, this was the first of many trips who I know we'll take as a family, and uh, God willing, with the church. Um, we built a house. We uh, witnessed miracles throughout the week. We got to know orphans and, and work with great orphanages and see, meet other people in Guatemala that have become family since then and uh um it just took it impacted our lives in such a way that when coming back it just kind of humbled us and made us realize that we are here for so much more and that if we allow god in we don't have to worry about the how we just have to worry about the why and uh there was a lady there maria jose doyle who uh supplied the house i don't know if she works she's not with mana but are they with Mana? Yeah, she's a missionary
0: with Mana that we support.
2: She had left a devotion with us before we left, and it kind of struck—it kind of helped, uh, stuck with me a little bit too. And I hope maybe it'll touch people out here as well. But she had told us, you know, we have all these things, and it's great. Uh, God's given us our jobs, given us the uh, platform for everything that we have. But He didn't give it to us just because we're better than anybody else. He gave it to us to work through us and let Him work through us and go forward and to preach the good word and to teach more people about him. Right. Everything we do have is because of him. Okay. And if we're not using it to glorify him, what, what else do we have it for? Yeah. So that's what I took from the trip. Um, there's so many people I call family and friends and brothers and sisters now. I just, It was an amazing week, I'm probably going over time. But that's what I got from the trip. So Awesome.
0: Thank you. <laughs>
3: Okay, I got a lot of the same. <laughs> so sorry if you hear any of the repeat, but I mean, like I'll kind of just touch on, um, you know, for me, I have just always felt like the best thing I'm good at is the fact that God blessed me to be a mom of five children, um, and that my main job on this side of heaven is to nurture their faith. So kind of to touch on what he was saying, um, bless you, <laughs> we always... Um, we're, you know, anytime the opportunity arose for a mission trip of some sort, we always focused on how we could get the girls there. Um, we probably would continue to do the same for our other children as they grow up, um, trying to figure out how to get the money and get them where they need to be. But we never really thought about us going until, like you said, we saw that video and we just looked at each other and said, we need to go on this trip. Not just the girls, we need to go. Yeah. So we did. Um, <clears throat> there's so many things that I could share with you all about the trip that just broke me. Um, our day in El Dorado and at the clinics and at the village um, visits, I had to step away to cry, to pull myself together. Um, I was struggling with the fact that I needed to show strength in front of these women and children we were serving mm. um, because I thought it would make them question why I was sad if I had Jesus with me. Yeah. I didn't want them confused by my tears while we were there trying to show them the love, hope, and joy that only Jesus could bring. But my eyes and heart were opened wider than ever when we heard the prayer request of a woman who had suffered from an aneurysm. While she was miraculously still alive and far from the vegetable state she had mentioned she was in prayer, she had been advised by the doctors that another aneurysm may strike again at any moment. She referred to herself as a ticking time bomb. She was still suffering physically, but like most mothers, she was more worried about the well being of her children. She asked that we pray her kids would be taken care of and that her husband, who was a former alcoholic, would continue to not drink and keep tending to the children like he had been since she had fallen ill. I didn't hear her once ask for physical healing of her own, only to allow Jesus into her heart. I thought to myself how selfless of her to not ask God why she was struck with this ailment or beg him to heal her, but rather to continue to heal her husband from alcoholism and heal the relationship between him and his children. Within minutes of that prayer being said, however, here God was delivering some sense of immediate relief to her through Brian and the chiropractic adjustments he was performing on her. When we got there, she had left... When we got there, she had her left arm kind of propped up like it was in a sling, and she had a cane, and she wasn't able to move her left side. But after Brian adjusted her, her left arm slowly dropped, and then she was able to move it again. We were all in awe of what we were witnessing. And just like the song we just sang, by faith we saw a miracle. Um, You know, we also, like when we were at MJ and Brennan's house, we talked about... um, being predestined and chosen to be in the places we were at that given time um, by God. Mm -hmm. And I feel like for us, we just moved into this neighborhood nearby a year ago. And honestly, that led us to this church, which led us to that service that showed that video Mm -hmm. that got us to want to go on this trip, to be there in Guatemala and to serve and to witness all those miracles and to learn so much from those beautiful people. And then now being able to share our testimony with you guys like that's all God <laughs> but you know like I mentioned before we were we've always worried about um nurturing our children's faith but in all honesty it was our faith that also needed to be nurtured as parents um so I strongly encourage you to go on the next mission trip you know when you feel that lump in your throat every time you sing a song or hear someone's testimony appear, that's God telling you like you need to do this It's good um but this trip, like my husband mentioned, we gained a lot of new family, um, and I'm, I'm sure those relationships will last forever just through the bond we made on this trip. Um, but you'll definitely gain a re- renewed sense of fellowship, faith, and purpose that's indescribable. Amen. Showing up for God, you know, He'll show up for you tenfold. That's good. And that's all Thanks,
4: I. Thanks, like. Stephanie. <laughs> The biggest impact I had was during the village visits that my mom was talking about. We visited like three homes and we brought like baskets with like flour, rice, and a bunch of like necessities for the house. And I realized how, sorry, (laughs) I realized how less fortunate they are, but they're so happy and how much we have, but we're still like empty, I guess. And so, yeah, <laughs> like the kids, they were like running around, like these little houses with just tin, like wrapped around them, and like spider webs, like all in the house. And they were so happy, and I just, I couldn't understand, cause I take so many things for granted, and I have like so much. But, anywho, um, <laughs> whenever. We came back. My sister and I decided to, like, not get rid of, but, like, give, like, a ton of our stuff to charity that we don't use. Because, like, why would I need it if I don't use it? And other people in the world need it. So, yeah, that's I just learned with gratitude and to be thankful for everything I have. That's awesome.
5: Okay, I'm the other sister, but um, so on this trip, I honestly, I was really, really nervous about coming. I don't normally get to go to Warehouse Church because I go to college a little bit away, Um, so I didn't know anyone. It was the middle of the semester. I had midterms the whole week, so I was very nervous about leaving. Um, I didn't feel prepared at all, but uh, once we got on the trip, I realized that I didn't need to be prepared just because, um, I mean, I know we've all heard the saying, like, God uh, doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. And that was definitely something true to me this week, just because I had everything coming at me that was telling me, don't go on this trip. I got really nervous about the flight. I got really nervous about not being able to speak well enough Spanish. I got nervous about basically everything I could have. And whenever I got on the trip, I just realized that all those anxieties just kind of faded away. And, um, so one of the things we did was whenever we went to a village called El Dorado, um, we got there and they said that we were going to be de the kids' hair and washing their feet and all that stuff. Kind of freaks me out a little bit. So I was like, "Oh, great! I don't know how I'm going to do this." Uh, but then as soon as the kids started lining up, I was like the first person to sit down and start washing their feet, and it was like a huge like step forward for me. And it taught me a lot. I mean, I'm in college, so I'm still figuring out what I want to do with my life but doing this trip definitely made me realize that I want to help serve people a lot more and like what my sister was saying about us wanting to donate our clothes i seriously my whole trunk is full right now of clothes and stuff i want to donate just because it was so impactful seeing how little these people had and i just want to make sure that for from now on that i'm helping out with people like that so
0: awesome. Awesome. So that's our Basani family. So they all came as a family. And this is Andrew.
6: Good morning, Let's Warehouse Church. Hand. I'm Andrew Wofter. Most of you are strangers to me, but don't worry, I'm a stranger to you too. Um, like Trinity, I I uh, was new to Warehouse Church. Although she goes to college, my wife and I just moved here, and I'd only been coming to Warehouse Church a couple of weeks before deciding to join the trip. Uh, and so. Other than Kelsey, who I had gone to lunch with, I decided to go to a foreign country on a mission trip with a bunch of people I didn't know. Right. <laughs> and while Trinity may have felt like a lot of us were strangers, and we were, uh, she was at least surrounded by some of her family. And what I learned on the trip, in addition to all of the gratitude and understanding the blessings and, and just feeling so um, humbled by what God has put in our lives... Uh, and understanding that sometimes the things that we fill our heart with take away the space for the love that God gives us and the love we have for each other. Right. I learned that you can go from a stranger to being family in less than a week. Yeah. And that there are several things that really build those connections. Mm-hmm. You, Warehouse Church, build those connections by supporting this mission trip, by funding the house that we built for a family that's going to change not only their lives, but generations, their children and their children's children who pass that house down in the family. But also for me, my life was changed, and, and going from being a stranger to to connecting with people in, in three ways, really sharing space like we're, we're doing today. We gather together, we're sharing space, and we're building our connections with each other today. Mm-hmm. But also sharing a meal, taking somebody to church uh, to, to lunch after church is a great way to connect. And we got to share our meals every day uh, on the mission trip. Yeah. And lastly, and I think most deeply, sharing service, sharing a mission, serving someone else together... Right bonds you in a way that I don't think we'll ever uh, lose right. and so in less than a week for those three actions I went from a stranger to being like Trinity surrounded by family That's so by right. the end of the week yeah. uh, and so that was a blessing for me and I hope that we bring that back as a blessing here to Warehouse Church and we can take some of those lessons um, and I hope not too long I won't be a stranger to some of you as well right.
0: Amen. thank you Andrew
1: good morning family <laughs> is that picture of Daniel available yes. Christina see oh yeah okay take a good look at that little guy mm. um, in the background there you see the rock wall and all that we were in a house a, a home a family home they called it that was an architectural masterpiece and essentially all the kids that were staying there were rescued um, some of them were orphans uh, and the majority of them wildly abused so, Daniel was like our uh, third adjustment there. And, um, you know, I, I finish, you know, on this one kid, and I see out of the corner of my eye this real herky jerky motion, and I look up, and he's coming over, sprinting with his crutches. I mean, he's just like, I'm going to get there. <laughs> and it was taking him forever. So, it was all funny at the same time, and also, you know, sad, and you're like, you not know what to do with him. And he just had this grin on his face. Not sad, you know, mm. not pity party, Daniel. So he lays down on the table, and uh, right when he got there, that's when I met his eyes, and uh, I knew—I, mean, I, you know—you just know when something has happened to somebody. So I asked the uh, lady taking care of him, and she goes, "Oh yeah, he was, um, you know, abused his whole life, locked in a cage for three years, and that's why he can't use his legs." So, you know, I went through my thing, and, uh, you know, I'm just crushed. What does that do? It may do something different to you. I don't know. It scrambled my brain. You know, my heart was in pieces. My soul was shattered. Mm. I'm still piecing it together. You know, she's talking about the lady with uh, aneurysms, and there it comes again. I mean, I'm sure you all have been through that. But I want to share what I think Daniel would say to all of us, Mm. Uh, what he said to me without saying anything. Thank you. I mean, there was nothing but gratitude on this kid's face and joy okay. and keep pressing forward, keep trying to make this world a better place because it's working. Yeah. All of our, I, We witnessed what our support is doing down there in that place. Yeah. It'll, it'll change it. It was just awesome. So yeah. thank you, guys. Thank you
0: awesome just to give a little bit of context if you don't know dr hooten is a chiropractor and so we were able to do a lot of um well not we he him and his um intern were able to do a lot of adjustments while we were down there
7: and then this is soren yeah hey we're we're house i'm soren like she said and man i hate going after people who do such a good do such a good (laughs) job like that it makes me me look bad you know but you know anyways so you know i I, (laughs) yeah thank you so, you know, when I first heard about the Guatemala trip was probably, probably after the first time that it happened. We, I saw the pictures of the house and the video of it all happened. You know, I thought it, I thought it was kind of interesting. I th- thought it was kind of fun. But then as time grew on, I kind of I forgot about it. But then when it came, came time to leave again the next time, uh, this year, I guess, I'm like, well, that sounds fun. I want to go because, you know, I used to live in India, as m- my dad said before. And, you know, I thought, well, it would be great to see the world, be able to go somewhere else, see how, you know, the world as a whole is. And, right. You know, that kind of touched me coming here because it kind of reminded me of India, you know, the level of society and what everyone wants and needs. And just, you know, as as we went here, we went to build a house out of wood and a tin roof. And, you know, that's basically all that they need, even though here that would be like the lowest of low. That's the highest of high there. And so going there and being able to help people like that and just the level of gratitude like everyone else said, you know, was just so high from everyone. You know, we'd go on these home visits or these clinics and these you know, orphanages, and we we wouldn't bring very much at all. We'd bring these baskets of food, or this, you know, a cake for the orphanage. Or, you know, but then we would have fun with these kids, and you'd see this big smile on their face, because you know that's all that's all that they want. They just want someone to come and play with them, and talk with them, and help them through their life, through their struggles, and you know, help them help them through all their help them through all their problems. And I just thought it was so humbling to see all these kids, you know, with a big smile on their face, like uh, Dr. Hooten said. And I just thought that was really interesting and really amazing because yeah. yeah. that's just what we went for. We went to build a house to help these people and to make them happy and make them feel like feel loved on through, uh, through, from us and through Jesus and that's spread it. the word. And I feel like that's what we all did, and I think that's what we, we went to do. So, you know, I thought that was really fun, and that's how it really affected me. Yeah. Amen.
0: Thank, Thank you, you Soren. So there were a lot more people represented than what's on stage. Like I was saying, you were a part of this trip as people, as our church. We have families who stayed here um, while some of their family members went on the trip. You guys supported us. This is a... um, We went through MANA, who we support with our coffee and through our missionaries. So we just want to make sure that you know that you are just as much a part of this trip as the people that went. And we'd love to see you on the next one. And we also wanted to give a little shout-out to Rachelle. She's not here because she is our new children's pastor. So she's taking care of your kids right now. And she was a huge, huge part about with what we were doing at, um, in Guatemala with the feeding centers and everything because she's bilingual. So she was able to lead a lot of the children there in song and in worship, and she did a phenomenal job. So we're just super excited that not only she came on the trip, but now she's a part of the team as our children's pastor. So if you have not met her yet, please make sure you do that. And we're going to just show a video. We're going to have our team step down, and this will really just give you a better, a better well-rounded picture of what happened on the trip.
8: Good morning, church. Good morning. How about another round of applause for that Guatemala team? So Ed uh, called me a couple weeks ago and said, hey, I'm going to be out of town. Will you speak for me? And I wanted to know, uh, you know, what the topic was, was going to be. I work a job like the rest of you and wanted to have time to speak. So he texted me the next day and he said, I want you to speak on missions. And I thought two things simultaneously. First, I thought, well, this is going to be a piece of cake, uh, I was a missionary for over 10 years. I worked vocationally with missions for about 17 years. I was trying to do the math, and I was like, I, I literally think I have taught on missions well over 200 times in different settings to different congregations and small groups. And well, I mean, boom, I got this. And the second thought that hit me almost at exactly the same time was, wow, I really probably need to hear this message right now in life more than anybody else does. So I get to sort of preach this message this morning. It's something I've shared before and man it's been good for me to go back over some of this and look at what the Bible has to say about this and be reminded in my own heart what God has to say about missions and reaching the world just with where I'm at in life. So I'm going to stand up here and I'm also going to sort of sit out there and preach to myself this morning. Uh, We are going to talk about missions and uh before we get started, I want to give what I think is a pretty good biblical definition of missions, if we could put that up on the screen. Missions is the pursuit of God's global glory. Uh, I like this definition, one, because I think it's a good biblical definition. What we're going to do today is talk about the biblical basis of missions, and we're going to walk from Genesis all the way to Revelation, and believe it or not, that's going to happen in the next 18 minutes and 24 seconds. Uh <laughs> But I like this definition because, as you're going to see, it's, it, it is a good biblical definition of missions. I also like this this definition of missions because it makes God the focal point instead of people the focal point. And I think as we think about evangelism, boy, did, did Ed step on your toes last week like he did on mine? I mean, my I was like all stubbed and bloody by the end, you know? Uh, as we talk about evangelism, like we did last week when Ed taught, and as we talk about missions this week, it's very important that, that God is the center of that instead of people. Not only because it's biblical, but for our own hearts. Because I'm going to tell you something. There are some people in life, I mean, this is sin. It doesn't, it doesn't bother me to think of them going to hell. right? I, like they have hurt me or whatever, or I don't care about them. and I'm, I need to work on that. There needs to be forgiveness or whatever. But ah, I don't care about them. But you know what? God deserves their glory and their worship, right? So when we put God as the center of our motivation in evangelism or in missions, then we can have the right, the right priorities. All right, so what we're gonna do, we're gonna talk about the biblical basis of missions, and literally we're gonna walk through the Bible from Genesis to Revelations in a short period of time. And what I wanna try to show you is that if this is a good definition of missions, the the pursuit of God's global glory, then missions is the main theme of the Bible. Normally when we read the Bible, we read a few verses or we read a a chapter or or, or a book. But what we're going to do today is we're going to step back and we're going to sort of look at the whole forest. And I'm going to make the argument and try to show you that I really think this, this idea of the pursuit of God's global glory, if there is a theme that runs through the Bible from the first chapter to the last... This is the theme. Okay, so we're going to start off in the very first chapter of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. And as you know, God creates everything. And then he creates man last. And in the very first chapter of the Bible, God gives the very first command. Let me read it to you. Can we put it up there? All right, it says that God blessed them. I can read it up there. No, I can't. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. This is the command that God gave to Adam. Fill the earth and subdue it. All right, well, after Adam and Eve, they've got this command. Remember, see, God only gives them one command. Well, I guess they said don't eat from the tree. But this is the thing you're supposed to do. Here's your life purpose. Fill the earth and subdue it. After Adam and Eve, humanity becomes uh, pretty disobedient. Not surprising. And you might remember they become so disobedient that a few chapters later, in the sixth chapter of Genesis, God decides to flood the earth, wipe it out altogether and start over with a man named Noah and his family. And Noah gets off the boat in Genesis chapter 9, and he says something to Noah. He says in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, Then God blessed Noah and his sons, and he said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, and fill the earth. He's given the same command a second time. Adam and Eve didn't get it done. Their generations after them were disobedient and didn't, obey the command. So he starts over again, and he gives Noah the exact same command. Well, not surprising, the people that came after Noah weren't particularly obedient. So two chapters later, in Genesis chapter 11, I want you to see the people have all gathered together in one city, in one place, and listen to what they say. Pay, Pay careful attention to the disobedience. Then they said, come, Let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we might make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the earth. Do you see how in direct conflict that is with the command that God gave to Adam and the command that God gave to Noah? Hey, we don't want to be spread. We don't want to fill the earth. Right? So God does something very interesting Three verses later. God sees this. He sees this disobedience. And in Genesis 11, 7, and 8, he says, Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from there all over all the earth. And they stopped building the city. Seems like God was really, really serious about this command. This command to go and fill the earth. So serious That in Genesis chapter 11, he said, well, I'm going to stop even just giving you chances. I'm going to scatter you over the face of the earth. And if you're like me, the first time you saw this, you're like, well, why? What's it matter if all the people live in one city? What's it matter if they're scattered over the face of the earth? It must have been confusing to Noah and to Adam and to the people in this time. But you and I have a benefit they didn't have. We have the entire biblical record. So we're going to cheat for just a moment, and we're gonna fast forward to a passage in Isaiah where Isaiah is teaching about Jesus. He's teaching about the coming Messiah. He's giving a prophecy, and look at what he says. He says, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Well, how is the earth going to be full of the knowledge of the Lord unless there are people in every corner of the earth? Right, so what's happened is the Sort of the plot line of the Bible has just been laid out. God has spread people over the face of the earth, and he has this desire to be worshipped around the globe, and the rest of the Bible is the fleshing out of that. So, in the very next chapter, we just did Genesis chapter 11, the very next chapter you meet a guy named Abraham. And Abraham is the father of the entire Jewish nation, all of the Israelites. And God gives this command to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. He says, next one, the Lord said to Abraham, there we go, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. Well, that sounds great, doesn't it? I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. He makes this promise to Abraham. All the peoples, all these nations, all these ethnic groups all over the world are going to be blessed through you. This is the first time the gospel shows up in the Bible. And you say, the gospel's in the New Testament. Tell you what, let's cheat again. Let's, let's look at, at uh, Galatians Chapter 3 8. And what Paul says in Galatians 3 8 is the scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announced the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. This is the center of the gospel. Not the salvation of people, although that's an important part of it, but the global worship of a God who deserves our worship. That's the gospel. All right, we're going to speed up a little bit. We're not going to go chapter by chapter. You go a little farther in the Bible, you might, you might remember a guy named Moses. And, and uh, Moses, uh, when I think of the most famous story of Moses, I generally think of the Red Sea. Right? And what happened is Israel was, was enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, and then God comes to a, uh, a guy named Moses, and he says, I want you to go to the king of the land. His name, his name is Pharaoh, and I want you to tell him to let my people go. You've probably at least seen a movie on it, right? And so Moses goes, and Pharaoh says, no, I'm not going to do it. So God sends a plague, and then Pharaoh still says, I'm not going to do it. And God sends so many plagues that they eventually get bad bad enough that Pharaoh says, okay, I'll let the people go. And so the people march out. All of the Israelites march out, and they, they, they get close to the Red Sea. And when they get close to the Red Sea, Pharaoh changes his mind. And he loads up his entire army, and he marches out after them. And this is the part of the story you're probably most familiar with, right? Moses takes his staff and he touches the water and it stands up and the Israelites march through. Pharaoh and his army chase them into the Red Sea and the waters close. And the entire army of Pharaoh is destroyed. Now that's kind of a cool story, but it's also really disturbing if you sort of think about it. And why did God do that? Why did he decide to destroy the entire army of Pharaoh? We don't have to wonder. Exodus chapter nine, verse 16 says very clearly, but I've raised you up, as God's speaking to Pharaoh, but I've raised you up for this very purpose that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. Why did God destroy an entire army? Was it to save Israel? Mm. Yeah, but there was a bigger purpose that God's name would be proclaimed and feared in the entire earth. Ever heard of a guy named David. David's my personal favorite character in the Old Testament. And I think he's probably God's favorite character in the Old Testament because he's the only one that God ever describes as a man after my own heart. That's what he says about David. I remember sort of wondering, man, what's so special about this dude that he gets described as a man after God's own heart, but nobody else in Scripture does? I have a hypothesis. There was something that was always from the very beginning all over David's heart. God's global Glory. let's take a look. When you think of David, the first story that I think of is the story of David and Goliath. And the story of David and Goliath has my personal favorite quote from the Old Testament. Or maybe the Bible. But something that somebody says that is like, whoa. Here's what David says. He, he marches out. He's 16, 17, 18 years old. He's about Soren's age. He marches out against a nine-foot-tall giant. He looks the giant in the eye. And he says, You come against me with sword and with spear and with javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. And this day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I will strike you down, and I will cut off your head. And today I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army that's the army that was represented there the the bodies of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth. And what's the result? The whole world will know that there's a God in Israel. David wrote most of the Psalms. Uh, No less than 88 times that I'm aware of does David talk about all the peoples or all the nations in the context of God getting glory in the Psalms. We're not going to look at all 88. We're going to look at a couple of them. And Don't put the next one up yet. The first one is uh, is Psalm 4610. I I wonder if you can help me finish this verse before I even put it up there. Be still and... That's only one-third of the verse. Be still and know that that's only one-third of the verse. All right, put the rest of it up. That is only one-third of the verse. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. Why do we only have, I'm not not blaming you, I only had one-third of the verse left until somebody showed me, you know, that's only one-third of the verse. When you memorize a verse, memorize the whole verse. Why do we never see that part? Here's another one. Uh, Some of you might be, depending on your denominational background, don't put it up yet. Let's see if you can help me out. Uh, May God be gracious to us and bless us, yes, and does anybody know the next part? Make his face shine upon us. It was a very common uh, benediction, very good. Very common benediction in a lot of churches that the pastor will sort of stand up and may God bless you and be gracious to you and make his face to shine upon you. Well, it's interesting because that's an incomplete sentence. That is only, The sentence does not have a period there. Let's look at the rest of the sentence. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. What's the purpose of God's... Anybody in here feel, feel blessed in at least some area of their life? Think, you th- did God do that? Because, man, he's just, he's just all about you. It's all about you. Everything is... About me, he gave me these blessings and these children and this house to live in, and re- just, just all about me. We have to memorize the rest of the sentence. Why am I blessed? That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. David says in Psalm ninety-six. Three, He says, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. I think that the reason that David is described as a man after God's own heart is because over and over again, that's what he was obsessed with. I want God to get glory everywhere, in every corner of the earth. As we fast forward to the New Testament, Jesus comes, and he starts to get towards the end of his life. He's getting really serious about some specific commands. He says in uh, Matthew 24, 14, makes a promise. He says, This gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. I'm not going to go into a whole bunch of, like, end times theology here or whatever, but whatever the end is, it's not coming until what? The gospel of the kingdom is preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. Whatever the end is, it's not coming right this second. Whatever that is, I'm not going at any time, we're not talking about any whatever. Because, let me tell you, all nations have not yet been reached. The word nations, he uses here, by the way, is better translated ethnic groups. All ethnic groups on the planet have not been reached with the gospel. Therefore, we have some work to do. He gives this major command we're all familiar with in Matthew 28. He says, um, Jesus Anyway, I wrote the wrong verse. But go make disciples of all nations. Next passage. Next slide. There you go. Ooh, I didn't put it in there. All right. The last command he gives is is in Acts 1.8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And Ed talks about that passage all the time. But look at that again, the ends of the earth. Hey, it's not just about our location. It's the ends of the earth. And this basically starts the missionary phase of the New Testament, right? Paul comes right after this. And what does Paul do? He roams around the world, taking the gospel to all of these other ethnic groups, all of these other nations. And that brings us to the book of Revelation. Now, if I'm not making it up, if there, really is a, if there really is a theme that runs from Genesis 1 through the Bible, you can debate about the order of other books, but Genesis should be number one. That's where everything was first created. And Revelation should clearly be the last one because it's telling of the very end of the story. And if there is a theme that runs through the Bible, then that's the last chapter. And we should see a clear conclusion that points to this theme. Well, do we? Let's look at Revelation chapter seven, verse nine. After this, I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and language, all the ethnic groups, standing before the throne and in front of the lamb and they're wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. This is John seeing a picture of the end and heaven and who is there and who is there, people from every nation and tribe and people And language. Missions, the idea of the pursuit of God's global glory, is a theme that runs throughout. The Bible is not primarily a book about you and me, it is primarily a book about God's glory and his plan to get glory for himself in every corner of the earth. That's really good news for you and me because his means of doing that is our salvation and redemption. But it's about him primarily, not about me. And, and if you're hearing this this morning, I remember the first time somebody talked about some of this, I was like, you know, why, why have I never noticed that before? Like, why did I memorize the first one-third of Psalm 4610, but I didn't know the last two-thirds? Why have I never noticed? By the time somebody sort of pointed some of this stuff out to me, I'd read through the Bible two or three times. I was like, why have I never noticed this? I have a, I have a theory My theory is that you and I have a propensity to read our Bibles the same way we used to read our yearbooks. You guys still get yearbooks? I know you do, because I have one over here. I have to pay for it every year. Yearbook. When you got your yearbook, what's the first thing you did? You go look for your picture. If you're lucky, your yearbook had like an index at the end, right? And you could go and be like, I'm on page 37 and 62, right? And you sort of treated your yearbook like it was a book about you. It's really a book about the school, but not to me. My yearbook was about me. I'm on page 67. This is my third grade yearbook, by the way. You can check it out later if you want. We tend to read our Bibles the same way. It's no problem if we do that with our yearbook, but we tend to read. I do as well. Oh, what does this say for me? What's it say about me? What's it say to me? Because this book is all for me and about me. And if we read it that way, we miss what it's really about, which is all over this collection of books, cover to cover. It's not really about me. It's really about God and his global glory. All right, I have 29 seconds left. That's what the clock says. I'm going to go a minute over. But I do want to end with this, this... this is important. This should change maybe the way we read the Bible. Maybe we think about our lives. If, if, if missions, if the pursuit of God's global glory really is the main theme that runs cover to cover in this book, and it's also the main purpose of God's church, getting global glory for God. If it's the main purpose of God's church, it might actually be the main purpose of the members of his church, me and you. And if that's the case, missions isn't just an event. I'm super pumped that, that Soren, my wife, Laura, this whole team got to go on that, that Guatemala trip. But you know what I don't want Soren to think? Oh, I did my missions. I had my missions event, and now I've like, checked that off my little Christian box. If, if missions is the main theme of the Bible, and it's the main purpose of the church, and it's the main purpose of our lives, it's not just an event, it's a life purpose. So I'm gonna end quickly with four ways you could consider getting involved with missions. Number one, and you've heard it before, give. Now, I don't know if this is an Ed-approved message, but I don't only give money to this church. I'm excited that the church also supports missions, but I give some of my money, some of our giving that's above and beyond our tithe to missions groups. You might consider that. There's one, uh, one I really like supporting. It's probably the best money I spend every month. It's a group called uh, Freedom Firm, and Laura and I give to that every month. What Freedom Firm does is it is identifies underage girls in brothels in India. They were basically in the sex trade and slavery. They locate them. They extract them from that situation. They prosecute the brothel keepers. They put the girls in a home to rehabilitate them and teach them the gospel and a trade. That's some darn fine money spent. We can give. We can pray. I'd encourage you to consider adding this into your prayer life. I love doing this with Annie. I pray with Annie at night. And then I'll say, is there anything else you want to pray for? And A lot of times she'll say, "Let's, let's pray for the people in India that have the things that they need. And they'd be able to hear about Jesus. It's not complicated to add this in. right? Before, before a mealtime prayer, God, I know there's a lot of people in the world that won't get to eat a meal right now, and I pray that you would provide not only food but the gospel. right? We should just be injecting that into our prayer lives. You could go. Probably the biggest thing I pray for our church most regularly is that God would raise up more missionaries to go from our church. Missionaries have to learn another language. They have to go to another place. But I pray that God would raise up more people who would do that.
1: Not only to go on
8: week-long week trips, I hope you'll all do that. I hope some of us will go longer. The last one, and I'm almost done, is an opportunity really for all of us because of where we live. Anybody live in a house or a neighborhood or an apartment complex? Anybody ever been to Walmart in Plano or Richardson? Ever? In this area of the country, we are surrounded by people from other nations. I remember the first time I went to that Walmart over on, on Coit, I walked in, it's like every aisle was like a different language, right? The neighborhood I live in, there's tons of Chinese people. Whatever your apartment complex is, there's tons of Indians or Pakistanis or Bangladeshis or people from all over the world, right? We have an opportunity to welcome them. We have an opportunity to reach out in love and serve them and love on them and teach them the gospel. I'm going to pray and we'll be done. God, it's about you. It's not about me. I thank you for the opportunity I've had this last week to just sort of be humbled by you and to remember that. And God, I pray that you would use this church to fulfill your purpose. Not that you would bless us so that we can be blessed, but you would bless us so we can be a blessing of the nation so that you can get the glory that you deserve. God, I thank you so much for the folks who went to Guatemala and the ministry they're able to do there and the ongoing ministry there. God, I pray that you would bring the gospel more and more to Guatemala and countries all over the earth and that you would use this church mightily you would use us mightily, not for our own sake, but for the sake of your name and your glory. We pray to you in the name of your son, Jesus.